welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Of packing and unpacking bags, it's been brilliant this summer. We had a lovely time in France. We had a few uh, bit of time at the caravan, and then back, and then over to England. And even the girls were like, "Oh, mommy, when we get home, can we just go to our own beds and sleep in our own, being in our own rooms again?" They'd had a week of sharing a bed together, so <laughs> they were ready to to go back to their own space. Um, and I'm just kind of ready to unpack my bags and be here for a while but it was great great to see my parents and um, my brother and family and stuff so I'm here and it, you know traveling through an airport isn't it really funny you it brings up things in you that you don't know are there you know when you're in the queue and then all those people walk past you because they've got speedy boarding and then your kids are going why did we not get speedy boarding mommy and you're thinking back to those days when even though it was a pain in the neck traveling with toddlers you did have that thing when they went, anybody with children under five, if you'd like to come to the front of the queue, and you just will, you know, <laughs> you went past everybody, ha, ha, ha. And then I remember one year, Andrew's gone, what age is Sophie? And I'm like, six, and he's gone, oh, for goodness sake. Will anybody know, Sophie, would you dip down a bit? They'll never notice, because <laughs> you're just dying to get to the front of that queue, because see when everyone's lined up, and there's hundreds of them, and then you just sail past. It's just lovely. But no, I was thinking about how we do get really envious, don't we? We like that bit of special treatment. You know, because Hope was also noticing things around the airport, just going, why do people get to go in that nice lounge over there, Mummy? As we're sitting outside with our wee sandwiches at WH Smith's, and I'm just like, because they spent a lot of money just to go in there for however long it was. But there's, there's lots of things, aren't there, when we start to realize we're not part of that wee thing, and we want to be part of it, because of special benefits and privileges, and we all like to be treated specially. But I was thinking, you know, as believers, we are actually set apart. We are actually special. You know, today we get special treatment because we've got favor on our lives and we can actually expect privileges because even though we live in this world, we belong to a different kingdom. But I was thinking about it how, you know, in the world there's this kind of scarcity mindset, isn't there? It's like in the world, if you want to get ahead, somebody else has got to stay behind. So you kind of tread on everybody else to get to the top. That's dog eat dog, isn't it? You know, if you want to get ahead, then often it's at the expense of somebody else. But God's kingdom isn't like that. And, that's, and I think sometimes we have to shake that off because sometimes when we see somebody else being blessed, we can go, oh, what about me? Oh, God, what about me? Like, oh, that church is doing brilliant. Well, what about our church? And oh, that worship team's amazing. What about ours? And what about us? And what about me? And they've got, they got promoted. Well, why didn't I get promoted? And they're healed. And what about my healing? And we can have that same mindset sometimes if we're not reminding ourselves that we are part of a different kingdom. And I was thinking again, you know, God has such a better way because his kingdom isn't just limited to us, the special ones. Yes, we are chosen, we're special, but it's for everyone. God's heart is to see everybody come into that kingdom, to everyone, to receive all the blessings that he died to bring them. And to me, that is amazing. You know, you know, most of you know that Andrew and I run a business as well, and, and all the key business, the key buzzword at the minute is diversity inclusion. Anybody work in the workplace? It's all about diversity. It's all about inclusion. And I was thinking, oh my word, the church is the most diverse and inclusive place in the world. Like, take a look around us. Do you know what I mean? We're all ages. We're from all different backgrounds. We've got all different educations, jobs, everything. We are so diverse. I mean, I love the fact that over the last number of years, we've got to travel quite a bit and we've visited churches in Switzerland, South Africa, and loads of different places, America. And you just realize that we are one in the spirit. We can be completely different, completely different backgrounds and everything. And yet you're talking to somebody for five minutes and it's like, oh, you 
I belong to you and you belong to me. We have something that holds us together. It's amazing. But the thing is that God didn't just want that for a wee small group of people. He wants it for everyone. He includes everybody. He's just constantly welcoming people in, welcoming people back. That's his heart for us. And to me, that is just so beautiful. You know, we're not about exclusivity. It's not about, oh, we're, we've got speedy boarding and you don't. It's like, we've got something amazing and we want to share it with you. And for me, I just think, well, how does God do that? He does it, like Andrew was saying, through us. He does it because we get to say, come and hear Ray Bevan on whenever it is in a few weeks' time. Come along to church. Come along to this. Come and be part of something. Can I pray for you? Can I encourage you? Can I speak a word of life over you? That's how we do it. That's how God does it because we've got this amazing commission. And it's to know God and make him known. Like, how simple is that? That's all he asks of us. Just know me. Know how much I love you. Know how much I care about you. Know how much I want to, you know, be involved in your life. And then tell everyone else about it. Tell everybody else the good news of what I'm doing in your life and what I want to do in their lives. And you know what? Sometimes I think we don't step out because sometimes we start to lose sight of what we've got. You know, all these privileges, all of these benefits, sometimes we just get our eyes on what we don't have. It's like this morning in our house, it was all snot and tears, wasn't it? Andrew walked in after walking the dog and Hope's sitting with the tears because <clears throat> Sophie's got nice new flared jeans for her birthday and she's still wearing the same old jeans that she's been wearing for like three years. Three years, mommy. Three years I've had these same jeans and Sophie got those nice and I have nothing to wear for church this morning. Nothing to wear. So she couldn't say, like, and all this toast you've given me, it wasn't, thank you very much for making my toast in the cup of tea, mommy. It was, and why have you given me all this toast anyway? How am I supposed to eat this and get to church on time? So, yes, things were not going well in our house this morning. So we had to have a little chat about, why don't we focus on what we do have, Hope? Like the fact that you do have some toast to eat because somebody's bothered to make it, and you do have some nice jeans to wear. And it is your birthday in a few weeks, and you know, all of these things. We were laughing, actually, because this is the first year that, Sophie's actually managed to have a birthday with hope not having to have a present as well. You know, like when they're little and you kind of, it's a child's birthday, but you have to get something for the other one because they're just like so envious that, they, you know. Well, this year, so hope actually came to us and said, can I get something for Sophie? I think Andrew and I nearly fainted. <laughs> oh, really? So, yes, so she's kind of, she's grown in that thing. But obviously by now, it's kind of, it's the in-between. It's like, you've had your birthday. I've not had mine yet. You're wearing all your nice things. I've not got anything yet. So we're in that mood this morning. But it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes we've got our eyes so, so fixed on all the stuff that we don't have, on all the things that haven't quite worked out, that we're forgetting about all of the privileges, all the beautiful things, all the amazing things that God has blessed us with. And you know what? We have been given this incredible gift, this access to the kingdom of God. And it's like it's an all-access pass. It's not like we just get, you know, a sort of second, third-rate thing, but we get to experience everything. We get to receive all the benefits. And yet I know the times there's disappointments, there's times we don't see every breakthrough that we want to see. And that's hard. That is hard. But I don't want to lower my experience or lower God to my experience. I know that God has so much in his kingdom for us. And I just think, God, help me to learn how to access everything that you've died to give me. Because you know what? The enemy tries to twist it on its head, doesn't it? And make it out that God's withholding things. But actually, it's only the enemy that comes in and puts barriers into our way. He's the one that brings the clouds in so we can't see the blue sky. And I just want us to think, you know, I just want to look at today, how do we receive this kingdom that God has for us? 
You know, why is it at times that we struggle to lay hold of everything? And I want to look at some verses in Luke um, 18. And it's all about childlike faith. So there's a lot of these verses that you'll know before. But I want to really explore it this morning and think, what is it like to have that childlike faith? So we're going to read, if you've got your Bibles with you, look at Luke 18. Okay, and it's verses 15 to 17. They're going to be up on the screen now. So it says, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Okay, so I think we've got a lot to learn from our kids there's times the crack is up, there's times that, uh, yes, there's challenges, but there's so much that we can learn. And I want to talk about five things today that are going to hopefully help us all walk into a greater experience of God's kingdom in our lives and in the lives of people around us. So five things that we can learn from our kids. Are we ready for this? Oh dear. Are we ready for this? Come on, Andrew. <laughs> yes, <laughs> go for it. So the first one was, do you know what? Kids are on a learning journey. Have you ever thought about this? And even though at times they might think they know everything, most of the time they know that they don't know everything. We know we, know, we, know we have all the times when they're saying, I can do it myself, you know, give it to me or whatever else. And there's times that they try and do things that they don't know how to do. But in general, kids kind of accept the fact that they've got a lot to learn, don't they? It's kind of part of what they do. You know, for kids, it literally is every day is a school day. They literally, you know, right, come on, get up, you're going to school. It's just part of life. They just have to keep learning and learning and learning. And all of us know, like, how many years they've got in front of them. You're thinking when they're going into P1 and they're loving school. Oh, dear, love them. They don't realize how many years they've got left of this. But it is just that they're just on this track, aren't they? Every day they've got to learn things. They've got to keep going. They kind of accept it's part of life. And, you know, we were laughing as we were driving to the airport last week. Sophie said to us, uh, Mommy, what, what do you call that thing on the side of the road? You know, when the cars get, break down, you know, what, what is that thing you call it? And she was like, you know, she, she knew it was in there. She went, um, is it red elbow? Anybody worked out what it is yet? <laughs> the hard shoulder. <laughs> Just going <laughs> to love her. Because she could see the little red lane and she's like, it's got to be a body part or something. I know it's a body part. And we're all like cracking up laughing and poor Sophie's thinking, I know mom's going to say that in church sometime, you know. Every poor child knows everything's going to get used as an example. But you just know the kids are constantly learning, aren't they? They're having to say, would you teach me to do this? Can you, you help me ride my bike? And you're all going, oh, no, not again. Can you tie my shoelaces? Can I, would you teach me how to bake a cake, mommy? Would you teach me how to make a cup of tea? Would you teach me how to do this, how to do that? And it's just this constant list, isn't it? Because everything, they've got to learn. And part of you as a parent is going, oh, for flip's sake, not again. What do they want to do now? But it's lovely that it's just they're constantly on this journey of I could learn how to do that. I can, you know, and sometimes they're thinking they can do things before they can. But there's this eagerness to be grown up, to, to learn more. And I was thinking with that comes a humility. There's an openness. There's this desire to be shown. You know, and Jesus came to teach us. So he wants to impart his wisdom to us. But we have to be willing to receive that. Okay? It says anyone who will not receive the kingdom like a little child will never enter it. Are we willing to learn, to constantly learn, to relearn, to undo things at times because we've not learned quite right? Are we really 
expecting Jesus to teach us or are we wanting him to teach us things at times when we actually just kind of prefer to do it our way? Do we really want to be open to hearing the way that Jesus wants to do things? So when I was thinking about these verses, when he says you've got to receive the kingdom like a child, I was thinking, God, what does that look like? And it's important whenever we're reading something in the Bible that we think about, well, what, what does Jesus put around this? You know, what happened before this and what happened afterwards? So if you go back just a little bit in Luke 18, there's the part where Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Okay, and I want to read this for you in Luke 18 because the reason he's telling this story and then the reason he talks about the children is because he's trying to illustrate things. He's trying to help us to see well, what is this kingdom like or what's it not like? And he often used parables because he's either trying to point it in technicolor to make you go, right, okay, well, this is exactly what it's not. It's the exact opposite of this. Or he's trying to, you know, provoke us to think, to really think about where are we at. So if you look at this in Luke 18, this is what Jesus said. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, when you think of it, so he said this before he talked about receiving the kingdom like a child. And if you think about it, what's the thing we know about kids? They, they understand the pecking order in life, don't they? They kind of get it, especially like you get a group of kids together and you can soon find out who's the boss because it'll be the oldest who's bossing the youngest around and telling them what to do. And the kids kind of naturally, you have a group of kids, they naturally fall into, you know, who's going to be the leader. They always look up to the bigger ones, but they kind of have this sense of, I know there's a bit of order out there. And it, they understand that actually they are often have to depend on other people. They're often weaker than others. They, ha they accept that they need other people around them. They accept that they need help. But somehow as we progress through life, I, I kind of feel like we get a bit less honest about that. The fact that we do need help. And rather than admitting it at times, sometimes we kind of feel like we've got to put on a mask, pretend we've got it all together. Sometimes, you know, most of us kind of look at ourselves and go, you know, I can see all the things inside, the mess and the mistakes, all the stuff where, you know, I didn't get it right. But we're so afraid of being found out, aren't we? We're so afraid of actually letting other people in. If they really knew me, what would they think? So we hide. We hide behind this mask. Whereas with kids, it's all out there, isn't it? What they know, what they don't know. It's just kind of, I am who I am. They haven't learned to put on the face. But as adults, we do, don't we? And we just, we're afraid. I know what I do a lot of the time in business is counseling with people. We're not counseling, coaching. And you would be amazed the amount of people who have this imposter syndrome feeling, this fear of... I don't know everything. If people only knew what I didn't know, what would they think of me? And you have it. I mean, Andrew and I are amazed. We coach people at all different levels. And there's people at the very, who other people would think are at the pinnacle of their career. They've got it all together. And yet they're just so afraid. If people only knew what I didn't know, what would they think of me? We're all wearing this mask. And then do you know what happens? Because this is part of the story here with the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're so afraid. How do we feel good about ourselves when we can see all of the mess, when we can see all the things that we get wrong? 
What do we do to kind of live with that? Do you know what we do? We compare ourselves to others. In order for us to feel better, we've got to put somebody else down because we have to go, well, at least I'm not like that. At least I'm not that bad. And it's so destructive, isn't it? And yet it's used so much by the devil. He wants us to get our eyes off our position and compare ourselves with other people. It's a bit of a laugh because I was actually doing this on the plane yesterday. You know how, like, you don't realize, you know, you, you write all these things and you think, well, that sounds really good. And then I'm sitting on the plane and I was on the edge and there's a lady in front of me and she's playing that wee game. Was it Wordscape or something? Word. It's where you kind of create words with letters and it's, it's almost like this little puzzle. And anyway, the girls used to play it and I never really bothered with it, but she was playing it in front of me and I could see her, I'd put my phone away. They were saying, you know, put everything away, whatever, get ready. So I'm just sitting and I could see all of the letters and I could see all the words. And I'm like, for goodness sake, it's bland. And then it's and and it's whatever. <laughs> so I know I almost wanted to tap her on the shoulder because she was so slow. It was like, it was like pain. It was painfully slow. And then she'd finally get it and she'd go on to the next one. And I'm like, it's swarm and it's warm and it's sore. And it's, it was really, really annoying me because she was really slow. And I was like, oh my goodness. How could you be so slow? Like, like it's, it's really not that hard. There was some, like, three-letter ones. I'm like, it was, was. Anyway, it was taking ages. Then last night at home, I was like, I have a go-we-go at that game. And I was playing it, feeling all smug because I was getting it all right. Totally, like, acing it, getting to all the five-letter words, flying through it. And then suddenly went on to six letters. Here's me. I have absolutely no idea what that can do. <laughs> Those letters don't, they don't make any words. There are no, and I thought, oh, my, I wonder who would be behind me on the plane going, for goodness sake, woman. How could you possibly not know that word? Isn't it incredible how we feel better about ourselves? We compare ourselves with others. We think, oh, I can do that, no problem. Why can you not do that? But it's just, it's so much part of life, isn't it? And I was thinking about the Pharisee, you know, he didn't understand the real problem. All he could do, you know, the fact that the Pharisee had believed the lie that his actions could impress God. You know, the fact that he even thought what he did would make a difference. He believed that his standing with God was based on what he did. So there he was telling God, well, at least I'm not like that. As if in any way his actions made any difference anyway. Because actually, what does God want us to do? He wants us to come to him in humility. He wants us to come to him even when we're at our very worst because his grace never runs out. There's an endless supply of it. His grace and his mercy running towards us every day. And I was, I've been reading a book. It's a book David gave me. Thank you, David. Gentle and lowly, it's called. And there's been some lovely quotes in it. And one of them is, it says, Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. It's filled up all the more by our coming to him. Isn't that lovely? Christ's heart is not drained by our coming to him. It's filled up all the more by our coming to him. We almost feel like when we come to God, he's going to be like, oh, here we go again. And did I not tell you that? And that's... Let's face it, that's me as a parent sometimes when one of the kids has given off, like, we not, we're not being through this. And yet God, his heart is filled up. When we run into him, he loves to pour out his mercy on us. You know, when we're going through, if we want to reign in life, we've got to continually remind ourselves of our starting place. Because when we approach life like a child, it's because we're recognizing, I don't have it all together, God. I don't know it all. I have a lot to learn. I'm not the finished product. You know, for us to receive, I believe we've got to come to God and ask and have that passion. You know, have that hunger to discover, that openness to line our thinking up towards God's thinking. 
Because sometimes we can be just going, why is this not working out, God? I need a breakthrough in this. And there's so many times we can maybe we can hit, a, hit something in life and we pray and nothing changes. And then we start to think, God, do you not even care? Why are you silent in this? But that's where we have to go. You know, I maybe don't know it all, God. I've got to lean in. I want you to reveal more of your heart to me. I want to study more of the word. I want to know everything you say about this. You know, there's so many stories in the Bible where God, you know, where people are looking for breakthroughs. And God's saying to us, imagine yourself in those stories. See yourself, just like Maureen was saying, I think a few weeks ago, see yourself in those things. Imagine what it would be like. Because he wants us to find those breakthroughs, but we've got to go on that journey with him because we don't know it all yet. And we've got to discover more in his word, more of his goodness. You know, the second thing, so kids, they understand they're on this learning journey. And the other, other thing about kids is, is, don't they know that life, their lives are full of mistakes? They kind of get that, don't they? They get that, oh, flip, that didn't work. Let's try again. And it's just kind of part of life. They get the spelling test every Friday. They get all the red marks. You know, it's just, it's kind of, did I get it right? Is that okay? That's part of what they do. They know that. And God wants us to give us, like I said, give up that pretense that we've got life all worked out. He doesn't want us to have that face on us. You know, most successful people have made the most mistakes. So the most successful people in life are the ones who have made the most mistakes because they've been willing to give things a try. They've been willing to step out. They're not afraid to get it wrong. And God wants us to come to him with a mess, with the failures, with the mistakes, the wrong decisions, the bad choices, when we feel weak and helpless because, like I said, he loves to give. You know, it tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, I think it's verses 9 to 11, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." It's okay today to go to God with a life that's just a bit all upside down, all over the place. Some things are going great. Some things you've made a whole of. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. He just wants you to come. He just wants you to know that his grace and his mercy is new every morning. It's the times when we give up and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing, that we fall into his grace and we receive that revelation we need. When we give up trying to fix things and we just let God take over, you know, and again, a lovely quote from this book, Tell of, um, <laughs> I loved it, but it said, it is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. You know, how many of us just need to go, do you know what, God, I'm never going to get it all right, but that's okay. I wasn't designed to. I was actually designed to just be right next to you going, help, help, show me what to do, teach me something new, help me see it from your way. You know, perfectionism is a massive, um, just such a, a huge drain in so many people's lives, isn't it? It's such a robber of life when people are just trying to get everything lined up, everything right. And it's not that we don't try and be excellent. God wants us to be excellent and to excel, but he never wants you to try and be perfect. You know, he, already, he says you are already perfect. I have made you perfect. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfection and beauty of Jesus, and he is pleased with you. He's not disappointed with you. He's not saying, for goodness sake, get it together. He just loves you as you are, 
And then he wants you to be on this journey. Because you know what? God celebrates the journey with you. He celebrates the process. But we're so outcome-driven, aren't we? We're so bothered about the end product, but God's just bothered about you walking with him and learning with him every day. You know, and he, he wants us just to step out in faith. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He wants, he's pleased when we just step out and have a go and try. And we're not worried about getting it wrong. We're just trusting in him. And if we fall, we're falling into his arms of grace, aren't we? If we make the wrong turn, it's fine. He's going to direct us back again. So that's the second thing. Is kids are not afraid to make mistakes. Guys, we need to be less afraid about making mistakes, about getting it wrong. You know, when you spend hours praying or days or weeks, like, I've been praying about this and I just don't know what God's saying and I don't know what he's doing. I'm not saying just go and do whatever. But sometimes we're almost paralyzed because we're afraid to make the wrong choice. And sometimes we just have to step out and know that, you know what, if we've gone wrong, it's like the sat-nav, the rerouting, the rerouting, they'll get you back on track. But just take a whack at it, like Andrew would say. The next thing we can learn about kids, we're on number three. So if you're like one of those people who's got the chicken in the oven, we're about half, nearly halfway. Don't panic. The chicken's not going to burn. Kids don't stop asking. Isn't that true? Kids do not stop asking. It can drive you absolutely mental. But they don't give up. They persevere, don't they? We know this. Andrew knew this, knows this. We have a dog. We didn't want one. We got one. We have a dog. How did that happen? Because Sophie never gave up. She never gave up. So... This is part of Luke 18. Let's start at the beginning. It's the parable of the persistent widow. So we're going to read this one, lots and lots of verses. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's a bit, she must have been a bit of a scary widow. I never even thought about that before, but flip me, don't mess with this widow. Okay, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So it's important when we read these parables that, you know, Jesus is always trying to um, show us things. But often the parables were were something that we had to wrestle with. It's not as simple as just, just keep going on and on and on and you'll get the answer to your prayers. There's more to it than this. And Jesus explains this a bit in Matthew 13, because he says, the disciples, they came to him and they were saying, why do you speak in parables? And he said, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. I don't want to be that person to you that can't actually see what God is trying to say to me or, or really hear what he's saying because I've just shut myself off. I've allowed my disappointments or my hurts or where I can't quite fathom things, my experience, to, to limit what God's trying to do in me. God's made it that we have to wrestle with these things and we have to think about it. 
You know, and it says, you know, the parable of the persistent widow. Some people read it and on the surface they just go, right, okay, you know, God, um, God's better than the judge, so he's eventually going to answer your prayer. But what kind of God is that? You know, just, just keep going on and on at him. Just a bit like Sophie, just keep going on and going on and going on, rhyming on and going on and going on, and eventually everyone goes, oh, right, okay. That's not the heart of a loving father, is it? The one who gave up his son. Do we just have to nag at him? Do we just have to moan? Do we just have to, you know, go on? It's, this is why Jesus says that we need to come like kids. Because what's the thing about kids when they're asking? They actually have incredible confidence in their parents, don't they? If you ever think about it, when you're, when, you know, sometimes it's frightening how much confidence your kids have in you because they just expect you to fix everything. Literally, when they're little, you're just like their superhero. Like, mommy and daddy can do everything, especially daddy. I have to say this, you know, when it comes to, like, big spiders, you know, doesn't matter how big the spider is, daddy will get rid of it. Doesn't matter how. <laughs> Maybe not in every house, but, <laughs> but most of the time. But there's these things where your kids just have so much confidence in you, don't they? No matter what's going on, they just will phone you, whatever, they'll, whatever it is they do, they just, can you fix things? And it, um, I think it was during lockdown, we had this thing where we got a bird stuck in our tree. It was an absolute nightmare. There was this little bird stuck at the top of the apple tree. Hope was going, mommy, mommy, that bird's fluttering. You need to get it out. Now, it was like literally at the top of the apple tree. And I'm going, right, okay, pet. It might have just hurt its wing. It maybe just needs a bit of a rest. We, had, we were supposed to be going somewhere. I think we had an appointment. So I can't remember what it was for, but we needed to leave the house. But she's going, mommy, do you not even care about the birdie? Do you not even care the birdie? I'm not, I do care about the birdie, but I'm not really sure what mommy can do at the minute. Well, but you can't just leave it there. Phone somebody. So I just, I said, look, do you know what? I think it'll be fine. We'll just go to this appointment. It'll be half an hour. But I'm sure when we get back, the bird will have gone. Obviously, we get back, the birds there flapping more wildly. There's other birds around it that are now getting, seem to be getting worried. And she's just going, Mommy, the bird, you don't care about this bird. You don't care. You would have phoned somebody. So what do I do? Because I don't know what to do. And the bird's still flapping in the tree. It's okay. We'll phone Daddy. <laughs> Daddy will know what to do. So then I'm on the phone to Daddy, who's obviously very delighted about getting pulled out of work to come and fix the bird situation. But I'm like, she's just in absolute hysterics. I'm the worst mummy in the world because I can't fix the bird. So daddy comes back. He's like, it'll be fine. It'll Whatever. He comes back half an hour later. The bird is still flapping. Hope's hysterical at this point. Um, has just totally written me off as the most heartless person ever because I didn't climb the tree to, to save the bird. So Andrew has the amazing idea to actually just cut down the branch rather than climb into the top of the tree. <laughs> He's just like... So, but he didn't tell Hope what he was going to do so he just went don't worry I'll fix it he goes off to the garage and comes out with a huge saw so she thinks he's going to like kill the bird or something <laughs> she's like daddy don't kill the bird don't anyway so he um, saws the, the branch the branch falls down the birds then go in absolutely hysteric you know, whatever the birds do go flapping like crazy but it turned out there's a wee bit of cotton wrapped around its um, claw would it be and so then we had to run in, get scissors, whatever, the bird goes free. And Daddy is the biggest superhero in the world who fixes every problem. But isn't that the thing that your kids just think they can do it? Phone Daddy, he'll fix it. Because they have such confidence in their fathers. Isn't that what God wants us to have? Such confidence that no matter what it is, no matter how impossible it seems, call on him because he can fix it. It doesn't matter. We have 
He wants us to have that childlike faith that says, my God can do anything, my Father can do anything. You know, if you think about when your kids come up to you asking for presents, they don't say things like, um, well, they don't spend all day thinking, oh, well, better wait for the right time. You know, maybe when they're older, they're a bit wiser and they do that. Is mom in a good mood? Is dad in a good mood? But when they're little, they don't even notice if you've got moods that are good or bad. They're just like, can I have this? And they go on and on and on. Not because they think if I don't go on, I won't get it. But actually, the more I go on, probably the quicker I'll get it. They have such confidence in the giver. They have so much confidence in the goodness of their fathers and their mothers. And it's this openness to receive. It's this faith in the giver that God wants us to have. Okay, number four. I notice Andrew showed me a bit of time there. I think he's, he's telling me about the chicken in the oven. <laughs> so if kids can believe in a world they can't see. Isn't that right? You know, kids, when they're tiny, they don't have issues believing in Santa or the Easter Bunny or any of those things that we tell them or whatever we would, we, you know, fairy tale stuff. They, they can just believe it. They can grasp it. And they can see beyond what we can see. You know, and most of us know that, yes, we're part of this earth as, as Christians, but we have this part of eternity that we're part of. We live in two kingdoms. But actually, a lot of the time, we're just dominated by what's in front of us, aren't we? We're dominated by what we can see and what we can taste and what we can touch and smell and all those things. And yet the Word tells us that to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And God wants us to be spiritually minded. So when we look at Luke 18, we've had Jesus telling the parable of the persistent widow. We've had Jesus telling the parable of um, the Pharisee and the tax collector. So he's saying, don't compare. You know, believe in who I say you are. You don't need to do something for me. Just come to me with an open heart. Come to me ready to receive, knowing that I long to give you everything, every good and perfect thing. And then we have this story which Jesus tells. Well, not the story. Actually, the rich young ruler comes to him and he says... What do I have to do to um, receive eternal life? So he comes to Jesus asking this question. And he tells Jesus all the things that he's done, how he's kept all the rules. But Jesus sees past this outward behavior. And he goes to the heart of it. And he tells that rich young ruler, you've got to sell all your possessions and give everything you have to the poor. And then you can come and follow me. And on the surface, we could read that story, couldn't we? And go, oh, goodness. Unless I go and sell everything I have, I can't really follow Jesus. But that's not what it was about. Jesus just knew what the one thing was that was holding this guy back because it was where he was putting his trust. For this guy, that was the barrier for him. He was putting his trust in the stuff that he had and what he'd done. And it was he didn't have this ability to see into the heavenly realm and to make that reality bigger than what he could see with his eyes. You know, and for me, I was thinking, this is such a challenge for us, isn't it? Because look at Jesus' words. He says, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You see, all the guy heard was sell and give. But what did Jesus say? You will have. It's like, I'm giving to you. I want to give to you. I want to give to you something much better than you have. I want to give to you treasure in heaven. And what I realized is this was not about giving up wealth. It was actually about transferring wealth. Have you ever thought about it like that? He was going, look, you're invested in this wealth. I want you to do wealth transfer. Jesus was trying to set this guy up for a better return for his money. He was saying, you're investing down here on earth. 
okay? But what you're investing in, it's only short term. I want to show you what a long-term investment looks like. I want to show you how to get the best return for your money. If you do, you know, you're not going to lose out. In fact, you're going to receive way more than you can imagine. And that's why we've got to get this, this important lesson learning from kids about being like a child. Because they don't have a problem imagining what life can look like. They don't have this problem believing in a world that they can't see. But how many of us can really believe in the kingdom of heaven and what that looks like? What that looks for, like for us right now? You know, it's like Andrew was saying about inviting people to the Ray Bevan thing. You know, how amazing is it going to be when we're in heaven, when we get to meet people who are there because we made that effort to go and speak to them, to invite them, when we did something for them, when we were there, when we just you know, spoke those words of love, when we were that person that came and put their arm around them, when we invested in those things that have eternal value, how incredible is it going to be? You know, one day we'll all have to leave the cars behind, the houses behind, all of the stuff that we've worked for, maybe and put a lot of time and attention into. The holidays won't matter anymore, the pensions, all of that stuff, it's all going to go away, isn't it? And yet there's going to be something that is going to be so rich of true wealth that it's going to be incredible for us to experience. So much of it's going to be gone in an instant. And that's why God was saying, I want, you know, he wasn't being hard on this guy, but he's going, this is the path to freedom. This is what true freedom looks like. This is what true life looks like. And why did the ruler walk away sad? He just couldn't picture. He couldn't picture the treasure in heaven. And for me, this week, I was really challenging myself. How much am I picturing treasure in heaven and what that looks like? You know, we don't have to give up everything, but we've got to be conscious of our eternal home of what kingdom we actually belong to. So I'm challenging myself to go, God, help me grasp just what that reality, what that actual reality that I belong to, not just here on earth, but that heavenly reality is for me. Okay, and the last thing I want to talk to you about is that thing that kids have carefree lives, don't they? They're just kind of, they don't work. You know, how many times do your kids go to bed going, I wonder what we're going to have for tea tomorrow night. I better get something out of the freezer. I mean, do you ever hear your child say that? They're normally saying, what are we having for tea? What are we having for tea? But they're never doubting that they're going to get it. Well, they, they, they always have this sense that everything's taken care of for them. You know, Th things are just done for them. And they, that's the way it should be, isn't it? As, as parents, that's, that's our role, to, to look after our kids. But they can have that sense of adventure then and expectation and excitement because they know all the other stuff's getting taken care of. They don't need to be worrying about things. And that's what, because they have this trust and confidence in their heavenly father. And that's what God wants us to have. And do you know what was interesting? When I was thinking about the, the story of the rich young ruler, this is this one part of it that I never noticed before. I'd never noticed this before. It's the very last, I know I've jumped around with the verses, sorry, Johnny, but this is the very last slide, I think. If you look at this again, when he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And then he says, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And do you know what? During the week, that just jumped out at me. Because do you know what I felt God was saying? He said, do you know what? This... This guy was taught from a young age what he had to do to please me. He was told, this is what you do to please God. And that's what he built his life around. All those things he'd been doing from a young boy. 
He'd been told the wrong thing. He'd been told what he had to do to please God rather than actually knowing that, you know what, there's nothing you can do to please God. You need a savior. That's why he put his confidence and trust in himself because he'd been taught it from a young boy. Do you know what? He had that performance mentality and that's really hard to change because that was just his mindset. It was fixed because it had gone in as a child and it made me realize how important is it that we teach our kids grace, that we teach our kids that it's not what you do that makes God happy with you. He loves you because you are his children. He loves you as you are. You just come to him and you receive. And that's why it's so important we invest in our kids, why we teach them grace. And that's why for us at times we struggle because maybe for some of us we were taught as kids, this is what you do to please God. This is what's expected of you. This is what God needs from you. And God doesn't need anything apart from our hearts being open to him. Isn't that right? Just to receive his love, just to run into his arms. So I want to encourage you with that. Just say, do you know what? God has so much for you. He wants you to be childlike. He wants you to go every day on that learning journey. Like every day is a school day. God, teach me something new about your grace today. He wants, he wants you not to worry about mistakes. He's going to teach you things through them because he knows you need a savior. That's why he came anyway. He wants you to keep asking, not because if you, know, if you don't, he's not going to answer your prayers, but just having that excitement, that expectation of good from him. He wants you to believe in this world that you can't see yet, but it's actually more real than the world that we're living in around us. The kingdom of heaven is more real than what we can see and taste and smell and touch. And he wants us to just keep asking him to see things the way he does. And he wants you to be carefree. He's got it taken care of. He loves you. You're his child. And he just wants you to come with that confidence and boldness just to receive from his throne of grace. Amen? Amen. Okay, so... We're going to hand back over to Andrew and do communion and then worship, guys, if you want to get ready. Thank you. Well done, Pam. Wasn't that lovely? Right, stand, stand to your feet, worship, guys. Let's go. And um, it, do you know what I love about that? I was just sitting listening to Penny. Um, what I loved about it was the kids got more of a touch this morning than I, was, than I did, number one. Um, but I, life, life is complex, isn't it? Now listen to me in this. It's complicated. And what, what I loved about that this morning, I, I just felt the Lord ministering to me, just make it simple. Do you hear me? It's like all the complicated hard stuff, the Lord's taking care of it. I love that thing of take a whack, live free, trust in something that sometimes you can't see, but he's working. Isn't that an incredible, that's an incredible message actually. Uh, and I, 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 I'm struck by the simplicity of it all, the, the simpleness of it all, how God's grace cuts through sometimes the, the layers of complication that we have. Is it this and this? And what about this? And da, da, da. And this is going on. Where's this going? And the Lord says, just be like a child. Just be like a child. Just have that big, bold expectation of my grace in your life and what it can do. I love that speaking it over you this week, church, that the Lord's cutting through the layers that have been built up and the complication and the difficulty. And he's calling you again to carefree living with him where you're caught wide-eyed in wonder of his love and his grace for you. Captivated not by the enormity of what stands in front of you, but by 
the enormity of his love and his goodness. Can you receive that? Anyone say amen? Amen. Amen. I receive that word this morning, Lord. Lord, I let go of every burden, everything that has been put on my shoulders, all the weight and the expectation, all the stuff that you carry, and I just let it go at your feet, Lord. And we say, Father, we want to not be childish, but be childlike. To be childlike, to have all those things that Penny was talking about this morning. Because I believe in that place. You know, the big thing about kids is they're dependent, aren't they? So the word like I kept it, they're just dependent. They come and they just receive. They just receive. And so I pray over you this week, a lifting off the burden, the weights and the responsibilities, the stuff that would weigh us down, the expectations of others and how things are going to work out. And I pray a childlike faith over you this week to live carefree because you are loved. Amen. So that we take communion this morning. I'm going to take communion uh, together. If you're online, just get your stuff ready. Father, we take. Now, we do this in faith this morning. This is not a ritual. This is an act of faith and belief in, in the one who gave it all for us. When Jesus died for you, he died for your healing because he is the God who heals you. And I know some of us have had that disappointment even this week. But, you know, whatever we walk through now, it doesn't change who God is. We will not lower our experience down, our, our view of God down to the level of our experience. Because he stands above it all. He's true to every word and he's our healer this morning. So in your bodies this morning, if you're sick, in your minds, if you're anxious or afraid, if you have mental health issues going on, if you whatever it happens to be, the Lord is interested in you being whole this morning. So take this in your hands and eat and say, Lord, thank you, I receive in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you that because of your blood poured out for us, Lord, we can be absolutely sure that we are righteous. Amen, church. Hey, somebody talk to me here. This is good news. This is not a, like, communion is not morose. Communion is, thank you, God, because I go out this week knowing that I am fully righteous. Amen? I'm fully righteous, acceptable to God. The law has been fulfilled for me. I couldn't fill it myself. I wouldn't have a hope fall at the first hurdle. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Ah, can't say I do that 24-7. Well, then I failed in everything else. But the Lord says, let me come and take care of that for you. I loved with all my heart and my soul. And I did everything else after that for you. Okay? And because of that, your only option is to say, I can't, but he has already done. And so I drink and I remind myself of that truth, that I am righteous. And because I am righteous, all that is his is now mine. Amen? Amen.